Well, good morning again. What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord. Um, This morning we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Matthew. And as you know, last week we wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning what we're going to be doing is we're beginning our next section of study called Miracles and Parables. And I'm looking forward to walking through this next section. John MacArthur, in his commentary on Matthew, wrote this. Speaking of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus turned the religious beliefs and practices of popular Jews Judaism, especially those of the scribes and Pharisees, topsy-turvy. He had told them, in effect, that their teaching was wrong, that their living was wrong, their attitudes were wrong. Virtually everything they believed in, stood for, and hoped in was unbiblical and ungodly. The Lord overturned their entire religious system and exposed them as religious hypocrites and spiritual phonies. Then at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, we read these words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 through 29. It says this, and when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Most likely for the first time in these men's lives, they have finally heard what true, authentic preaching sounds like. And that's exactly what they got. And as a result, I can just imagine, I made reference to this last week, I can imagine as they came down off of that Mount Beatitudes, that those men's minds were just kind of blown away. They have just received the water hose um, worth of word preached at them. And I can imagine them be kind of numb as they walk down from that mountain. And, 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 What we're going to do now as we make this transition into this next section of our study is we're going to continue to see Jesus' teaching through his healing ministry and through the teaching of parables. John MacArthur also wrote in reference to what we've looked at so far over the first seven chapters of Matthew. He says, in establishing Jesus' messiahship, Matthew demonstrated his legal qualifications through his genealogy, making reference to Jesus here, his prophetic qualification through the fulfillment of prophecy by his birth and infancy, his divine qualification by the father's own attestation at his baptism, his spiritual qualifications by his perfect resistance to Satan's temptations, and his theological qualification through the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. And now what Jesus is about to do is he's about to demonstrate his divine qualification through his healing ministry. What Matthew is setting out to do is he is setting out to continue with his gospel to to establish that Jesus truly is the Son of God, that he truly is the Messiah. And we're going to see that unfold through his parable ministry and his miracle ministry. So this morning, we're going to look at two separate miracles. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13 together this morning. Holman Bible Dictionary defines a miracle as this, events which unmistakably involve an immediate and powerful action of God 
designed to reveal his character and purposes. Words used in the scripture to describe the miraculous include signs and wonders, works, mighty works, and power. Within the four gospels, we see four different types of miracles. There's the healing miracles. There are the nature miracles. The nature miracles would be um, the feeding of the 5,000. It'd be um, Jesus calming the storm. Peter getting out of the boat as directed to do by Jesus and walking on water. There would be, we will see Jesus raise the dead and we will see Jesus cast out demons. These are some of the miracles that we're going to walk through as we go through the rest of the um, book of Matthew. So let's read together our focal passage. Matthew chapter 8, beginning of verse 1, we read this. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes and to another, come and he comes and to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Following the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes into ministry mode. He has established his authority as teacher, and now he's going to establish his authority as divine healer. There was an illustration that I came across um, this week, and it, it speaks of a particular Sunday. A pastor um, enters into a time of prayer, and he goes, does anybody need prayer this morning? And there was a gentleman in the church that they referred to as Old Frank. And so old Frank raised his hands and he said, pastor, I need prayer this morning. And the pastor said, well, well, old Frank, what do you need prayer for? And he said, for my hearing. And so the pastor signals to him to come to the front. And so this man comes to the front of the auditorium and the pastor takes both of his palms and just hits this man as hard as he can across his ears. And he begins to pray and he says, dear Lord Jesus, I pray right now for brother Frank and I pray that you will heal his hearing in Jesus name. I pray. Amen. And, and so the pastor goes to Frank, how's your hearing now? And, and as you can imagine, Frank was a little, well, little startled. 
And, and so finally he gets his senses back and he, he looks to the pastor and he says, I don't know, my hearing isn't until next Wednesday at the courthouse. You know, sometimes we, must, we misunderstand what people really need, don't we? How many times have you ever tried to play doctor? You ever, have you ever tried to prescribe what you think another person needs? Man, if they've got a headache, I mean, you know exactly what they need. They need a couple of Tylenol, don't they? If they've got a stomach ache, what do they need? They need some Pepto. If they've got a pain in their side, you tell them, hey, you're not drinking enough water. Drink more water. I mean, we're quick to prescribe what we think other people need when in all actuality, most of the time, we have no clue what another person needs. You know who knows exactly what you need and what I need and those that we come in proximity of need? The Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't he? Lord Jesus Christ knows exactly what each and every one of us need this morning. Our message point this morning is this. Between every mountain is a valley. Between every mountain is a valley. Following Jesus preaching on top of the Mount of Beatitudes, he comes down. Isn't that how life is? You know, we have those mountaintop experiences in our life. And then what happens? We have to come down from the mountain where we encounter real life. When we come down from the mountain, what we encounter is the real world. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do. He's going to encounter the diseased. He's going to encounter the sick, the dying, the mute, the demon-possessed, just to name a few. Unfortunately, life isn't always spent on the mountain. You know, one of the mountaintop experiences that most of us experience is when we go on a mission trip or we go to youth camp. And even when we go on vacation sometimes, we experience kind of, kind of those mountaintop experiences where, where we have no worries in the world, right? You know, I know that um, I've had the opportunity to go down to the Caribbean a few different times and to places like Jamaica and Grand Cayman. And one of the things that they like to say down there is, no worries. No worries. You're on vacation. There are no worries at all. Think about those times in your life when you are on the mountaintop. You just enjoy life during those times, don't you? You enjoy your family. You enjoy your surroundings. You enjoy your adventures. If you do vacation right, if you go on mission trips in the right way, if you, if you go to camp, man, there's no work thoughts. There's no money worries. There are no health concerns. You're just living the dream for the few days. But guess what happens? Eventually, you return home. And reality is awaiting you. There's a hundred fires that need to be put out at work. If anything can break in your home, when you get home, guess what? Everything is broken, right? Um, the, the reality of the money concerns that you left behind, when you get home, there's bills to be paid. Sickness becomes a reality again. Following Moses receiving the law on Mount Sinai, he comes down from the mountain to find his brother Aaron and the Israelites worshiping the golden calf. Moses has just had the greatest spiritual experience of his entire life, only to come down 
down from the mountain and find his brother leading the Israelites during one of the darkest hours of Israel's history, leading them in pagan worship. His great high would become one of Israel's darkest moments. Following Jesus' sermon on the mount, he walks down from the mountain. And on this particular day, he will encounter three different people. He will encounter an outcast, a Gentile, and a woman. And this morning, we're going to look at the first two of those that Jesus encountered on this particular day. Notice point number one this morning is this, faith of a leopard. The faith of a leopard. After Jesus came down off of the mountain, a great crowd followed him. Who, who made up this crowd? Well, it was Jesus' disciples, and then there was also Jesus' admirers that heard him preach the sermon on the mount. They had never encountered such a teacher. And because of this, they did not want to leave Jesus' side. They wanted more of Jesus. They wanted more of his teachings. And probably the admirers, they kind of wanted to know what Jesus' next act would be. So what does Jesus do? The first thing he does is he heals a leopard. Notice this leopard's humility. Notice his humility. In verse 2, we read this, and behold, a leopard came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Leprosy is a severe skin eating disease. It was the most feared disease of all the ancient world. Leprosy in biblical times was second only to dead bodies in seriousness. This past week, through our two-year reading plan, we're reading right now through Leviticus, and we came across Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. In Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, God dedicates 117 verses of Scripture to let us know just how serious leprosy is. God took leprosy serious and he wanted the Israelites to do the same. And that's why he gave them specific instructions. For example, if a person thought that they might have leprosy, they were to go to the priest to be examined. And if they had leprosy or it looked like they had leprosy, they would be, um, deemed unclean for a period of seven days. After that seven-day period was up, they would once again return to the priest. And if the priest noticed that they were clean, they would be able to go home. If he noticed that they were unclean, they would once again have to spend seven days quarantined from the rest of the Israelites. After that seven-day period was up, if they come back and they still show signs of leprosy, then they were deemed unclean. And as an unclean person with leprosy, what they had to do is they had to go throughout life with their clothes torn. Their head had to be uncovered and they had to wear a mask because leprosy is an airborne disease. And they would also have to go throughout life screaming out, unclean, unclean, I'm unclean. Can you imagine going through life having to scream out when you got in proximity of other people, unclean, unclean, unclean. That's what a leopard had to do. That's what this particular leopard that we are studying this morning had to do. Just think about this man. 
that came and demonstrated his humility on that day. He came and he kneeled before the God of the universe, before Jesus Christ, this outcast that was required by law to scream out that he was unclean, came and kneeled before the God of the universe and he said these words. He said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This man who had no hope, this man who had no friends left, this man who could have no family contact for the rest of his life, this man that had probably no home to speak of, no job that he could, that he could go to, he had absolutely nothing. This man that had nothing according to this world understood what was before him in the person of Jesus Christ. He had everything that he needed, and that was a relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice the power of Jesus' touch. We read in verse 3 here, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Touch is an essential human need. When we shake hands or put an arm around a friend's shoulder, the body releases neurological chemicals like oxytocin and serotonin that fuel the feel-goodness within us while also inhibiting chemicals that cause stress. But touch doesn't just feel good. It is vital to being human. When babies and children are deprived of touch, their brain development is permanently impaired, which can destroy the growth of social abilities and result in lower intelligence. Touch is an essential part of life. In fact, Touch is so important and it's recognized by others as being important that there are actually in our world today these people that are called cuddle experts. Cuddle experts. I read several years ago in New York that there was a person that started a business and it, they are professional cuddlers. And so you can pay money for this person to cuddle with you for 30 minutes or an hour or whatever it is. And in fact, it's become such a hit that it is now in 17 different countries. Crazy to think about. But it just gives evidence all the more that people need touch. They need us to wrap our arms around them. They need someone to put their arms around them and tell them that it was going to be okay. This man, who was required by the Mosaic law to scream out to everyone that he was unclean, on this day did not scream, but went up to Jesus, knowing without a shadow of a doubt that God the Father could heal him of his disease. He kneels down before him. And he knew he could be healed by Jesus if Jesus so chose to do that. And I love how Jesus is not appalled by this man's condition. He's not worried that he is going to contact this disease. Jesus, recognizing this man's faith, answered his request with two words. He simply says, I will. And then he did what no one had done and who knows how long. It could have been years since this man had felt the physical touch of another person. And Jesus reaches out and he touches this man and he heals him. He reached out 
and he healed him and he touched him. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who do you and I need to reach out to this week and extend a hand to? Who do we need to give a hug to? Who do we need to say, I love you to? Who do we need to invest in this week? Who do we need to share the gospel with? Who do we need to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ to this week and show them how valuable they are Who is that person in your world that is an outcast? Who is that person in your world that this world has given up on? Students, every single day you go to school with young men and young women. They are in desperate need of someone reaching out to them and saying hi. Or coming up behind and putting your arm around them and saying, man, how are you doing today? Who is it, students, that you need to invest in this week? Adults, who is it that we need to invest in? Who is it at your work that you notice always sits by themselves at lunch? Or who is it that you know that you probably need to invite to lunch with you to invest in? Who is it that you need to share the gospel with? Who is it that needs their eyes opened by the Lord Jesus Christ this week? People are all around us hurting and in desperate need of Jesus Christ. They're in desperate need of us reaching out to them and touching them, just like this leopard was in desperate need of Jesus touching him. What's amazing is we're about to look at another miracle, and we're going to see that Jesus doesn't touch the centurion to heal him. He just simply will say the word, and that man will be healed. But this man needed a touch from the God of the universe. And so Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched him. There are people in our world every day that need to be touched. Let's reach out this week and extend a hand to them. Um, In concluding our our first point this morning, in verse 4, I don't want us to miss this part. Notice this leopard's obedience. In verse 4 we read, And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus will say over and over, following his healing ministry, he will say, tell no one. Tell no one what I have done. But in this particular case, he tells this man to go to the priest and and show them and give demonstration of his healing power of him being healed. For the sake of the crowds, Jesus did not want this man to tell the world, but he did want the religious leaders to know that he had done nothing against the law. He had violated the law in no way. The religious leaders accused Jesus over and over, didn't they, of violating the law. And in fact, we read in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, we read, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the, or the prophets. Jesus said, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So the first thing Jesus instructs this man to do is to go to the priest and to show himself to the priest that he had been healed. Now, I, I just imagine that those priests were probably blown away when they saw this leopard that they had avoided for years, possibly. All of a sudden, coming before them, being healed. There's power in the touch. 
There's power in the touch of Jesus, and that's what we have read about this morning. Notice our second miracle. It's this, the faith of a centurion. In verse 5 we read, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. This second miracle involves a Gentile. The Jews did not associate with Gentiles because they viewed them as being unclean as well as second-class citizens. This man was not only a Gentile, but he was also a leader in the Roman military. That was two dings right there against this man. A Roman soldier would have been a mighty warrior. He would have been strong. He would have been confident. And he would have demanded the respect of everyone that he came in proximity of. He was a leader and probably someone that was avoided at all costs within the city of Capernaum. He was a man that people feared because of his status. Yet there was something different about this soldier. Not only was he a man's man, but he also was a very compassionate man. Notice our first subpoint here. Notice his compassion. In verse 6 we read, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Being that this man owned a servant reveals that this man had money. I mean, he was not a poor man. If this Roman official wanted to, he could have kicked this sick servant to the curb and just done away with him, washed his hands of that particular person. But that's not what this centurion did. This centurion obviously loved this servant. And he wanted to see this servant healed. And he recognized that Jesus could do that very thing. You know, oftentimes in life, when it comes to um, employees, oftentimes they are not seen as people, are they? They are just seen as being expendable. Kind of like they be, they're a dime a dozen. If one leaves, what can you do? You can go out and get another one, and you can replace them, probably even replace them for a, a cheaper price than you um, are, were paying the other person. This centurion was not looking for another servant because he had a faithful one whom he had great compassion for. This man recognized that Jesus was more than just a prophet, more than just a great teacher. He comes to Jesus knowing that Jesus could heal his servant if he so chooses to do so. And he recognizes that Jesus is God. He is divine. And he could heal his servant. In fact, I think it's interesting that this, sir, this centurion could have asked for anything he wanted to of Jesus Christ. But he didn't. All he wanted was his servant to be healed. In response to this man's statement to Jesus, Jesus says in verse 7, I will come and heal him. Notice our second subpoint is this. Notice the centurion's humility. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. This centurion felt unworthy to impose upon Jesus any inconvenience. The Roman official clearly also knew the law, didn't he? 
He understood, he knew that had Jesus come to his home or the home of any Gentile, he would be deemed ceremonially unclean according to the law. One commentator wrote this, he felt genuinely unworthy for Jesus to go to that much trouble for him and no doubt also did not want him to break the Jewish tradition of not entering the house of a Gentile in order to avoid ceremonial contamination. So we read in verse 9, this man says, For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. This man recognized Jesus' authority. This centurion understood the chain of command also. He had people that he answered to, and he had people that answered to him. He gave orders, and he received orders just like Jesus. What this tells us is is that this man trusted the powerful words of Jesus Christ. He knew that all Jesus needed to do is just say the word, and this servant of his that was under his roof would be healed in a moment. And notice the next, um, I actually left this sub point out, but I do want us to look at this. Look, notice this centurion's faith. In verse 10 we read, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus recognizes in this Roman soldier his faith. This Roman soldier, in fact, had greater faith than any person in the land is what this says. And, and so that means that he had greater faith than even the disciples that Jesus had called to follow after him. And as a result of this man's faith, what does Jesus do? Jesus healed his servant. Notice our final subpoint this morning. It's this, Jesus's warning. Jesus's warning. We read in verses 11 through 13, it says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. In closing, I do not want us to miss this. When Jesus healed this centurion, servant, when Jesus recognized in this man his faith, he shattered the social, the political, the ethnic, and the religious classes in a moment. He wanted everyone in attendance that day to know that he came to provide salvation to all people, to both the Jew and the Gentile. With Jesus, he saw great worth in every person, every man, every woman, every child. Jesus will heal a Jew. He will heal a Gentile. He will heal a woman. He will do what no one else has done ever in human history. Jesus will in an instance through his healing ministry show that everyone has great worth and great value. We can learn a lot this morning from these two miracles. There are people every single day that we avoid because we deem them to be of a second-class nature, like this 
centurion was, as well as his servant. And we also deem people as being unworthy of our friendship. And when we deem someone unworthy of our friendship, guess what else we do? We deem them unworthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if we're not going to give that person the time of day to be our friend and invest in, then we're not going to share the gospel with them either. We need to be people that reach out and show the great love of Jesus Christ with each and every person that we come in contact with. Every person that places their faith in Jesus shall be saved. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what religious background they have. It doesn't matter where they live in this world. Every single person who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved is what Romans ten thirteen says. In fact, many people who think they have a one-way ticket straight to heaven are mistaken this morning. The Jews thought because they were God's chosen people, they were guaranteed entrance into the kingdom of God. Jesus made it abundantly clear that that was not the case. Jesus said that, that, that some people were going to be cast out into the outer darkness where there is going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The sad reality is that that place is going to be full of, of, of Jews. It's going to be full of, of so-called Christians, people who think that they are Christians. They sit in our pews every single week, but yet they don't know Jesus Christ, because they have never turned to Jesus and repented of their sins. They've never turned to Jesus and asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of their life, and they've never committed their life to following after Jesus. They've gone through the motions, but they've never given their lives to Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There is only one way to heaven. And that is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Who is it that you know needs Jesus? Who is it that you work with that needs Jesus? Who is it that you come in proximity of that need Jesus? You may be here this morning and you may need Jesus. You may not have ever given your life over to Jesus Christ. You don't know for certain if you were to die today where you'd spend eternity. If that's you, this morning we're going to enter into a time of invitation. I'm going to be standing here at the front. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want to know Jesus, you want to know for certain if you were to die today where you'd spend eternity, I'm going to be standing right here at the front and would love to share with you how you can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning. You've been visiting this church for a while, and the Lord's leading you to become a member. We welcome you this morning to be a part of Friendship Baptist Church. Let's stand together, and I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there is a decision that you need to make this morning, I invite you to come. I invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you, Lord Jesus, this morning. Just thanking you, Father, for the privilege of opening up your word. Father, we thank you for these first two miracles that we have looked at. Father, this leopard, this outcast, this man that, that no one would get in proximity of for fear that they were going to catch leprosy. Father, we thank you for how you demonstrated your great love for this leopard by reaching out and touching him. Father, there are people in our world that need a hug. They need investing in. And so, Lord, we ask that you will just reveal to us this week who we need to invest in. Father, there are people also in our world that we have deemed second-class citizens. Father, every person is equal in your eyes. And so, Father, may 
every person be seen through our eyes as well as being equal. It doesn't matter what their religion is. It doesn't matter what their skin color is. It doesn't matter where they live or where they go to school or where they work. Everyone is in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, help us this week point people to Jesus Christ. Father, this morning, if there is someone here in this room that have yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, Father, we pray that this morning will be the day that they repent of their sins and cry out to you to be the Lord and Savior. Father, there may be some here this morning that's been visiting this church. And if that's the case, Father, we pray that they'll come and make this their church home. Father, we love you and we thank you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. If you need Jesus, you come. If you need to join this church, you come. If you need prayer, you come. You come this morning as we sing. Oh.